Good morning, Chair City Community Church. How are you? Oh, I like it. I like it. Thank you for joining me this morning. It's a glorious day. I open up every prayer. If you ever notice, whether I'm in the hospital, in my home, thank you, Lord, for giving us this day. I believe it, you know. Thank God for this day, man. It's just we can make something of it. Let's start right now. We jumped into a series last week. We started out, and, you know, it's called We Are. And we, we talked about how, you know, the culture, and I'm going to kind of, I don't know, I decided to kind of jump into this culture generational thing and trying to infuse it. I'm not sure how it's going to come out. We'll figure at the end we'll be the judge of that. But, you know, culture tells us that, you know, we're baby boomers, we're millennials, we're part of this generation, that generation, Republicans, Democrats, you know, uh, our, our sexual orientation, you know, we are what we eat, right? You know, that's not going too well with me right now, okay? Uh, I'd just be a whole bag of stuff that doesn't taste good at all. So, uh, but, you know, the question is, in this series we are, we're studying these biblical metaphors, you know, it could be about five in total when we're done, that really speaks to who we are, helps us rediscover, and in some cases discover our God-given identity. This is who we are. If we are followers of Christ, if we are, quote-unquote, the label Christian, this is who we are, right? It's what Jesus says we are. Now, last week we looked at the statement, we are the body of Christ. This week we're going to be looking, you know, next week we'll be looking at... Uh, you know, I'm going to hold off on next week. But uh, this week, we're looking at we are the salt and the light of the world. Jesus says, you are, me and you, we are the salt and the light of the world. Now, you know, so culture is significant. You hear me use the word a lot because it really kind of can dictate how we dress, how we speak, what our homes look like, right? And I've noticed that each generation seems to have its own sort of a culture. Now, I don't know if the culture makes the generation or if the generation creates its own culture, huh? But there usually are some distinct differences, right? That kind of create some tensions and some rubs from one generation to another. Now, some of you don't really care about this, but, you know, what I'm saying is as I was going through this sermon, you know, it came to me that I do think there's a generational difference within the church and when it comes to kind of Christianity, followers of Christ, you know? Now, that's a general statement. It doesn't apply to every person in each generation, but for the most part, I think it does apply, the majority, and to varying degrees. Now, the difference, my perception, you know, and it seems to be a significant one, a meaningful one, in, the area, in this area of being a follower of Jesus, this, this difference. So let's look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Will it be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless? You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So what Jesus is saying here is, you know, make Christianity appetizing, right? He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Now, you know, this was a common thing in Jesus' day. People used salt for seasoning food, right? You know, even when people brought sacrifices to the temple... People bring over the, piece, the, the priest word, they chop up the animals, priests would take their portion, they, they would just bash it with salt. 
Actually, in Leviticus, God instructed his people in the Old Testament, you know, to, you know, that whatever you're doing, when you, even when you're offering your, take, bring your offering, make sure there's salt with it, huh? Now, nothing has changed, right? We use salt today, too, right? We use it to make it more appetizing. When I met Christy, it was out of hand. She would pound her food with salt. I'm taking these nice restaurants in New York, Italian restaurants. I'm like, they're going to throw us out of here. This is like insulting. You're insulting the chef, man. You can't do that stuff. I mean, she would sit there like, bam, 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 bam. I would try to stop it. Don't do this. This is good food. This isn't like where you come from. This is good stuff, you know? <coughs> That's what I would say. So it took me about a year and a half, but I finally got her out of the salt pounding stuff, you know? So... But you know, we do, we like, even like, even now it's gotten into the chocolate stuff, like chocolate, caramel, salted stuff, right? You know? I mean, listen, can you imagine McDonald's french fries without salt? I mean, like, oh, you know, cardboard, right? So, <coughs> so back to my generational disconnect. I want to be a little specific, all right? So, many years ago, in a galaxy far, far away, right? <laughs> Let's say people who are 50 and older. Maybe, you know, you, know it's, you can't pinpoint it. It's kind of a, a generational who's come and go to that kind of that transition of the ages. But let's say late 40s, early 50s, right? That age group. huh? When they, one way they would practice their Christian faith, they would live out following Jesus, is when it came to their lifestyle. Meaning their behaviors, their attitudes, and their actions. Now, when, what they did was they were very concerned about how those behaviors, attitudes, and actions, how they were perceived by people who did not know Jesus. Yeah, it was a major component in their life, in their walk with God, whether they were going to a toll booth or going to buy something or in the hospital. What they said, what they did, they really were considering, oh, that person doesn't know God and they're watching me or I'm responsible for my attitudes and my actions and my behaviors to this person especially because they don't know God, right? I, I, I do. It was, it was, it was a, I remember coming into the faith of being around, I should say more being around Christians. I noticed it was so strange to me, being not, not being brought up in the faith, right? Now, it, it, it's like they felt responsible for the person to know Jesus, right? And therefore, they were compelled, motivated to really guard what they said and what they did because it was consequential, they felt, to that person's soul, to that person going to heaven, right? Now, where did they get this from? Where did they get this way of thinking from? That, hey, when I'm out here, when I'm doing this, the things I say, the things I do, my attitude, my continence, it is going to have an effect on this person going to heaven or hell, and I want to see them go to know Jesus like I do, so I'm going to measure that. I'm going to be kind of careful, and I'm going to really consider my behaviors right, in front of them. Where did they get that from? I think they got it from Jesus, okay? And again, we're talking to, what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, this was really, I'm not saying it's gone in, in people under, you know, mid-40s. I'm saying it was really prominent. It was a profound part of one's faith, to live this way is what I saw. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, Jesus say, says, I want you to live out your Christian faith in such a way that Christianity looks appetizing to people far from God. That's what he's saying in that verse we read. Chapter Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, you are the salt and light of this world. 
Meaning, I want you to be appetizing to people who don't know me. I want you to be a positive influence on people who don't know me, right? So Jesus says, don't have the unsalted French fry kind of faith that's bland, right, and unappealing. Have this bold faith that's appetizing to people. And if you keep reading in Matthew, in the fifth chapter of Matthew, Jesus tells us going forward how this will look like, you know, how how you can live a a life that's going to make Christianity appetizing to people. Right? And, and, this is, and, and this is why I believe that generation kind of made this a really common part of their faith. This is what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, he says, don't curse. Right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 26, he says, work hard to resolve conflict amongst one another. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30, he says, be sexually pure. What does that mean? That means no fornication before marriage. No, no, it really does mean that, right? It also means don't have sex when you're in marriage and you're married. It really does mean that too. It really does. You know, again, culture changes. Christianity often is counterculture. And, I, and, and you know what? I not only look at things the way the Word says, I do this with my kids. I look at, okay, this is what the Bible says, and really, it's, I believe it's inerrant. It's without error, my, my belief. But I also have that kind of tendency to look to see how it plays out. And I think this plays out strong. That when we, and like I said, I was talking to one of my kids, I said, you know what? Think about this. This whole not having, not having sex outside of marriage. I said, this was kind of given to us you know, thousands of years ago, the Bible instituted this thing called monog- you know, monogamous relationships, you know, two men and women together waiting to have sex, you know, not having sex until they came to be one in marriage. That was all started by the Bible thousands of years ago. Now, if, if that's junk and nonsense and not relative, which I guess I would make sense it would be because it was written thousands of years ago, why would it be relative now? Why would it make any sense now? Then we should be able to have sex here and there without being married, and there should be no consequences, there should be no problems, right? Because it's bunk, it's junk, but that's not the case. There are massive consequences when we have sex outside of marriages. STDs are exploding, syphilis is at record highs. I, they don't tell you that, I read it. I mean, it's, it's going on out there in people's emotional damage, people are suffering emotionally, uh, physically, what's happening to them. Girls, are, 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 are they've got to now give, uh, vaccinations to girls at early ages to protect them from, from diseases, let alone, you know, children that are born out of difficult relationships. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. Even people who kind of hold to Christian faith but don't wait and hold off. I mean, they don't hold off and they'll have sex before they're married. This isn't a good thing. I'll tell you why. Because it's not just about the act. It's about the attitude and your posture before God. So if you're going to indulge to that extent, what happens now is you are tuned into one another. You follow me? So I'm going off here. You're tuned, but I want to help. You're tuned into one another, to satisfying, to indulging one another, yourselves, okay? All right. That attitude likely will not leave you. So as you go now into the earlier years of your marriage, and, and, and who knows how long, you're going to tend to have that posture where you're going to be looking towards one another, looking to yourselves. You're not going to see, and what happens is you're going to wind up struggling significantly. I see this because you're missing the great world God has for you. You're missing the bigger picture. You're now so tuned in on yourselves, and as I tell my kids, don't get lost in yourselves. That's an ugly place. 
you become more down, you become more anxious, you become more struggling, you know, you're, and, and you look at your calendar, your time, your money, all these things, and it really more is tuned into yourself, not this extraordinary life of abandoning all for the sake of Jesus, right? So we give up our lives to find life, huh? And she say, well, what's the answer? That sounds so down. The answer is repentance. It's a beautiful thing. Because repentance leads to redemption, huh? I make all things new, huh? I'll take your hot mess and I'll glorify myself and man, it's going to be a beautiful thing. That's God. So we repent. I tell people, you got to repent, man. You got to go back. You got to say to one another, you know what? You know what? Before God, we repent. Meaning we're going we, we gonna to turn from that way of thinking. Not even so much about the act of having fornication, but I'm talking about the way of thinking that brought us to this place of just, you know, turning from God and just, you know, gratifying ourselves. You know what? Bam, 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 in the name of Jesus, right? We don't want to live that way. So God, forgive us. God, take a hold of us. God, we surrender ourselves to you right now. Our hearts, our minds, our body, our spirits, we belong to you. Let's go. Let's do this thing called life together now, right? All right. So that was just one simple point. I went way off. All right, here. So where are we? Where are we? Matthew chapter 5, 31 through 32. Stay married, Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37. Keep your word. These are the things that Jesus is saying throughout the 5th and even 6th and goes on to 7th chapters of Matthew where he's saying, when you live like this, you are the salt and light of this world, meaning you are appetizing the way you live your life. It's, it's a good influence to others to bring them closer to me. Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 39, refuse to retaliate. Oh, so hard for me, a Sicilian from New York. I thrive on vengeance. Okay, we get there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 40 through 41. Go the extra mile, huh? I get the sex thing, right? It's this whole, you know, not retaliating thing I struggle with. Matthew chapter 5, 40 through 41, go the extra mile. Man, just, just don't just do it. Do it right and do it better than it's ever been done. That's the signature of Christianity, of Christians. We, we, ex- we just, we go to the next level. We do things that have never been done, right? We start hospitals. We start museums. We start orphanages. That came from you, from our faith. That's the torch we carry. We go the extra mile. We go to we go where nobody has gone before, and that's not just Star Trek. Star Trek got that from Christianity. Is that where it comes from, Star Trek? Uh, whatever. Okay. So Matthew, chapter five, verse forty-two. Huh? Be generous. Be generous, man. Matthew chapter five, forty-three to forty-six. Pray. And show love for your enemies. Another hard one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. Help the needy, but not in a way that draws attention to yourself. Wow. Uh, put your platform and your agenda aside. Just, just help, man, you know? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Don't worry about anything. That's a hard one, huh? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental. Don't assume you know why people did what they did. I'm not saying, I just say, oh, you were just judgmental. You're a hypocrite. Actually, that's the last one, by the way. No, no, I wasn't a hypocrite. You just, you know, said it's not good to have sex before marriage. That's not judgment. That's just truth. That's just facts according to the word. I also think it's good common sense. To be judgmental is to begin to turn around and, <coughs> and begin to analyze these people and call them bad and, and state, you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, well, you know, they, they, they don't care about God. I don't say that, you know, or, you know, she's this, he's this. We, we don't want to judge people, right? 
You know, they're no good. They're no good. They're terrible people. They're weak, you know. We don't go there. Why go there, right? No, on any given day, they're better than me in many ways. So we don't want to be judgmental. Matthew last, Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, Jesus talks about not being hypocritical, huh? You know, right? I think, I'm, I, think I reversed this a few Sundays ago where I talked about not take the... Uh, plank out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think I said it reverse. Huh? My kids and my wife helped me out with those things on the way home. <laughs> <coughs> but don't be hypocritical. And hypocritical isn't, again, calling out something that the Scripture says isn't, you know, is sin or not right. It's, it's about, like I say, you know, okay, so uh, you know, I'm drinking, I'm, I'm struggling with drinking uh, behind the scenes, and here's somebody who's drinking. It's okay for me to tell them, listen, you shouldn't drink. Or you shouldn't gamble, or you shouldn't act that way. I mean, that's just a good thing to tell them, right? You shouldn't get drunk, huh? But now if I'm doing that and I give them a hard time, like I begin to lecture them and berate them and tell them, you know, you're this and that, you know, that's hypocritical, right? That, that's hypocritical. Now, it's not a mystery for, so Jesus doesn't leave it as a mystery and how we should live our way, life in a way that's going to be appetizing and influence the people. He gives it to us. Hey, he says, you are going to be this chocolate-covered, sea-salted piece of caramel, man, if you live your life this way. Inevitably, it's all going to add up. People are going to say, man, look how they worked through that difficulty. Man, look how they held to what they truly believed in. I admire people, who, even if I disagree with their, what they believe in, if they hold to it, I, I, I kind of admire that, you know? I do. Look at how they didn't retaliate, how they're not gossiping, talking behind that person. Look at how they're not going out on Facebook and blasting people. Stop that nonsense. You know? Be salt, be light. Don't be an immature person who's unstable in how you communicate. I, I, it's quiet in here, right? Do you really think you're salt and light when you're going out there and bashing people? Now, that's the truth. I'm not judging you. On, I don't know your pain, I don't know your suffering, I don't know your difficulty, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know that if I was in your shoes, whatever's going on, I might do the same thing. Maybe that's why I say over oh, Facebook, because I can be so impulsive. Blah, 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 blah. It came to a point with all this digital communication, Christy would have to read my emails five times before I, I sent it out. She'd be like, that, that's harsh. It's not harsh, it's harsh. Okay, how's that? That's not what I would say. I wouldn't put it that way. Okay. We, we go from like a page to like two lines. <laughs> what about that? I'm just saying here. <coughs> I'm, not, I'm telling you the truth. Right? So I'm not saying I'm better than you or more comfortable. I'm saying I know myself, right? But I also know my God. And I want to be salt and light, huh? And my guess is, man, if I practice communicating in this, I might not be salt and light, huh? Again, that thought of the way I act and the way I talk and the way I behave is going to be consequential to someone coming to know Jesus Christ, right? I'm kind of like, I'm like in between the generations. At least I like to think so. I mean, I'm 41, 42, so I'm kind of right in between them. <laughs> right, right? So, you know, I, 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 but I do, I, I get that part of it. You know, I kind of adopted that part of it, right? right where are we? We're in this sermon, right? Okay, <coughs> so the thought is that people far from God mean think well, respect those who work through all these difficulties, who handle life in this way. 
Now, I'm pretty sure a significant way of thinking to those people from this particular generation was that it's this God-given responsibility as followers of Jesus to make our faith appetizing, huh? To live in a way that we're going to put our Christianity as something to be thought well of and respected. Now, as recent years, I've even noticed that lessening even within that generation. Meaning they're not holding to that place like they used to, huh? Meaning they may be trying a little bit more of the new and putting aside the old. Not as a whole, but I'm seeing that, huh? But, you know, and, and there's always been these generational tensions, you know? And I think it's affecting this a lot. And, and not that everything in any generation is good and not a, it's all bad. But I think this was one thing that was part of a generation that for the most part was good. Living out my faith in God in a way where I'm considerate of those who don't know Jesus and I'm coming to Jesus. I think that was a good, well, it's biblical, right? Now, there was a kind of an ugly side of it. I don't know if I'll get there today to it. I might. I'm sure the young, younger generation is, you better, okay? But it, it's, I want, look, I'm reading a book. I want you to kind of, this generational thing, I want you to, maybe I'm trying to accomplish too much in this sermon. We'll see. But uh, I'm reading a book with my son Justin right now called the, uh, and it talks about cultural and generational changes. It's called The Death of White Christian America. Nice title, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like Keith, Iggy, and Harry, they're like, it's cool, it's cool. I like that title, right? Yeah. <laughs> Three black guys in our church. Actually, I think Keith is the only black guy, really. Because he's from Africa. He was born in Africa. Iggy, he's, he's like an island Haitian guy. Harry, Harry's like a failed experiment, man, you know? <laughs> right? He is. Probably in like some lab. They probably like, I think they were trying to create something like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Mother Teresa, and Rodney Dangerfield. They came up with Harry. I don't know. Sorry, Harry. <coughs> so, yeah, okay. So, but the, the point of the book is kind of to, uh, Harry's our bongo player, by the way, for our guests. Uh, so now you get why I said what I did. So, the, the point of the book is that, you know, that these... Uh, somewhat morally strong white people, generally well over 40 in our country, you know, that, that, that the way they lived and their morals and their ethics and all of that and the way they approached life was fueled by, by their faith in Jesus, Christianity, that that America, which lasted for 200 and, you know, 70, it's no longer exists. It has died. That America has died. I would agree. He actually writes an obituary to open up the book. That white Christian America has, in fact, died. Now, he also goes on, I just want to say that his point, the premise of the book is that, uh, that some are doubling down on white Christian America and some are coming to realize that they just need to live out their faith in a different America and in a different way and just kind of, you know, be, reinvent things. And, and I kind of lean that way, okay? I, I don't think we should be doubling down. That's it, I'm going off the court. Okay, so here's the point, right? There's a point here, right? And, and, and my point is that from one generation to another, it's scary. I mean, even, I mean, if you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, 70s, even 80s, right now, it's, I just want younger people to know it's scary for people to realize that the country they knew, the culture that they, it, it's decaying. It's deteriorating. And in fact, as the author states, it's, it's dying. That's a scary thing. Because remember how strong culture is and the generational tensions. So that's what people are going through, right? And, <coughs> and they even believe that 
to some extent that Christianity is decaying, right? What I would say to the thought to that is, is remember, we are salt and light, right? To, to the extent that we will be salt and light, Christianity will not decay. Huh? As a matter of fact, it's in the most difficult times and the most oppressive times and the most seemingly dark times that Christianity has flourished, right? And that's just truth. That's historical truth. And why? Well, because under those circumstances, people who knew Jesus said, you know what, we're going to be salt and light. Yeah. That under these confusing, scary, uncertain, sometimes dark, hard circumstances, we're going to transcend circumstances from our faith in Jesus, and we are going to live out this way. We're not going to retaliate. We're not going to have sex out of marriage. We're, not, we're going to be generous. We're going to be forgiving, right? We're not going to gossip. We're not going to do this. We're not gonna, we are going to be salt and light. And it's in those that, that, that unthinkably Christianity just flourishes. Meaning we have a phenomenal opportunity before us right now to flourish as a faith. And I believe that's starting to happen. I think that's why Chair City Church exists. All right, so kind of here and there. All right, so now, you see, salt is not only used for flavor. It's also used for, for preservation. We don't know that. We don't see that much anymore because we have refrigeration, early 1900s. But before the 1900s in our country and around the world, salt was used not just for flavor but for preserving things. And, that, and that's when we're salt, when we're living out more than ever before in such a time like this, we want to live out our faith as Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 6, 7, all that I've read to you, in a way that is salt, meaning it's going to preserve, Right? So rather than be contributing to the decaying of Christianity or the decaying of, of, of God's truth, we want to live out our lives in the things we say and how we do and how we act in our communities, in our homes, in our jobs. We want to do it because every time we do something, we are, we are halting the decay. We are reversing the decay of Christianity. Do you get that? All right, so now, here are we here. Okay. So what I say to the younger people in here, you know, is to be patient. The people around you, again, they're going through this extraordinary, unparalleled change in this country. Yeah. It, 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 to you, it's just, it's just life. It's just culture. It's just, to them, it's just alarming. It's daunting. And no generation before them has experienced anything like that. So be patient. Be understanding, Right? And of course, I say this after making fun of the Gaithers last week. <coughs> you know, people around you who are older are going through some tough stuff. Huh? To the older, I say, be cautious. Be on your guard as David was when Saul was hunting him down. Huh? Emotions can be dangerous. Fear, anxiety, sadness, worry, bitterness. David said, man, search my heart, oh God. Take anything in me that is not of you. Anything that offends me, get it out of me. I don't care about soul chasing me is not what's most important. My name has been defamed and slandered. That's not what's most important. I'm living in a stinking cave and I'm separated from my family in the temple to worship. That's not what's most important. What's most important is me and you, God. And I don't want any of these circumstances to create a bitterness, a fear, and angry in me because it will separate me from you. Huh? I'll not be salt and light. God, search me and take it out of me, right? You need to be, my, my friends who are 40, 50, 60, you need to be in this place right now. Watch, otherwise you will be baited into this terrible place of bitterness, of anxiousness, and you will not be salt and light to a younger generation. 
You'll be a moaning, complaining, groaning, bickering, nasty. I'm not like this, right? <coughs> but really, you want to be in hard, man. You're going to be hard and harsh, right? And that's not what you want to be. You know, it's not salt and light. Look here, remember before I said, I think I can do this. Let me see. All right, let's try and do this. Uh, so, remember before I said it's kind of a dark side to living out this strong, moral, and ethic way? You know, living out all the ways Jesus said about being, you know, not telling lies, telling the truth, not having sex out marriage, not, do, you know, doing these things. See, the dark side came, and in particularly in the 1900s, and it, and it still exists today, what I would call legalism. I would even go further to call self-sufficiency. I didn't realize the depth of this until the last several years. We were getting ready to plant a church. And I was interviewing people and going to visit different churches. And I said, wow, man, this is a cancer. It's a stinking cancer in the church. Self-sufficiency. What it means is, I don't have sex outside of marriage. Yeah, me and Christy, we didn't do that. Okay, and, and I don't drink, and I don't smoke. I don't curse. I don't do this, I don't do that. And all that becomes what Christianity is. It's a moralistic Christianity. And of course, since we all know that's the goal, and that's because it's, it's a core part of what it is to be a Christian, is to act that way publicly, right? It's, it's in our generation. Okay. Well, then you know that, and you know that, so that's, that's our goal, to live that way. And now we start obtaining to that. So when you come into a place, and we're all Christians, we're all not going to curse, we all know, you know, we, we know what it is to be a Christian now. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it becomes very legal, legalistic. And it becomes self-sufficiency. And what's missing now is what's called grace. And of course, nobody can really, we can't be transparent. Because then you stink as a Christian. I mean, if you want, you drop some F-bombs on people, you know, every two years I will drop an F-bomb on somebody in here. I will. I'll repent afterwards. It was inappropriate. It almost always will be in context, like in saving somebody's life. I, there are some people, right? But, but the point is, we, we, we want transparency. That doesn't mean that we can take a license to be immoral. It means when people see through us, we want them to see sincerity, genuineness, and we want them to see Jesus, right? Amen. So we don't acquiesce to immorality. But it's not our God. Jesus is our God. And he's a gracious, loving, long-suffering God, yes? And so what happens is, remember that when I first started church, we talked about this conversation between a, in a book called Why Church by Philip Yancey. And he talks about how he's got this friend. And, uh, you know, they're, they're childhood friends, they're lifelong friends, they grew up in the church, but the guy, won't, he will not step into church anymore. But he religiously goes to AA. He says, so finally, you know, one day we're having coffee. I'm saying, I'm just going to break through this. I'm going to put the question to him. Like, why don't you, why are you so into AA? You're there all the time, but you won't even step into a church. And he goes, I found he's going to tell me, well, love and this. And so I ask him, and he sits there for like a minute looking at me. And he says, you know, desperation. He's a desperation. He says, well, you know, when I walk into a, uh, an AA meeting, you know, we're desperate, most of us. You know, we know one or two drinks, we're done. Architect, plumber, carpenter, surgeon. We, we just, we're in the same boat, man. You know, we know. We know we are desperate, right? I walk into a church, it's, I just get this sense it's all about having it all together. We got it all together, right? Our kids dress cool like this, the way we act, the way we conduct ourselves. I'm not putting that down. I'm saying that's not what it's all about. When we started the church, I walked in here one morning, and they said, how are you? I said, I, I'm not doing well at all. I didn't treat my wife well driving here. 
I sucked as a dad in my home with my kids with my attitude. I said, I'm not doing well at all. Could you pray for me? And of course, with three guys, they looked they had no idea what to do. But I swore that that would not be this place. I asked forgiveness. I asked them to pray to me. I think that day I even came up and asked my family to forgive me, if you remember, those who were in here. That's transparency, right? That's not having it all together. So to the younger, to the old, to the older, the younger generation, they have figured out that we don't have it all together. Right? They have seen the gaps in the floors. Because we are flesh, and there's going to be gaps in floors. Right? If we could have it all together, if we could be all that in a bag of chips, we don't need Jesus. We're self-sufficient. I'm so good. I'm so good I haven't had sex out. Christy, I have not fornicated our marriage. Whoa, I'm so great. We actually think we're good. We, we believe we've got it together. And that's so rewarded, and that attitude, I, I, I could write a book on this. So you walk into churches, and that's what's prominent. And then people like to gather around people like that, and it's social and all that, and all that's cool. But the younger generation is like, man, we see right through this. Not saying it, this, this, it's good to be responsible, it's good to be, it's all good, but it's not, it's not all of God. And they see, this isn't authentic. They may not word it right, but they're just sensing this. Man, do I want to drop my life into this? I don't think so. We must be authentic. We must be salt and light, meaning that's not our goal. Our goal, is, our goal isn't to not have sex. Our goal isn't not to smoke. Our goal, no. That's a byproduct of loving Jesus and taking on his grace and realize that, man, I am foul to the fly. Right? But because of what Jesus did and by the Holy Spirit working in me magnificently, I can sense and know the difference between good and evil, light and darkness, and he enables me to abstain, right? To do, not to do what I want to do, as Paul said, right? Paul even goes far to say, I do what I don't want to do, huh? And if I do fall, I fall forward into the arms of a gracious, loving, forgiving God and into the presence of people who know, you know what? I guess, hey, you know, we're, we're not perfect. This is an emergency room, not a museum, you know. We're here to pray for you, to love you, to care for you. Let's move this forward, right? Not, oh, you just fell out of everybody's graces. Oh, you can't, can't serve here now, can't do that now. Oh, you know, shh, well, I guess, you know, you know, maybe you need to pray more. Come on, what is that? If you knew the stuff that goes on in leadership in churches, my God, help us. Why? Because they're human. And because they got to function in this crazy, un- unbiblical atmosphere of legalism, of self-sufficiency. Let us never be self-sufficient, right? Let us be desperate. I am desperate for Jesus Christ. David Trolongo is desperate for Jesus. I need him. I need him to turn around and act as a decent man. I need him not to, to be faithful to my wife. I, apart from him, man, I'd be a dog out there. I need Jesus. I need him to turn around and guard my mouth and not to say things inappropriately. I need him to turn around and to be generous. Jesus, help me. I need you, God. Because apart from you, I am none of this, yes? And so when I look and I see somebody come in and they're acting and behaving a certain way, I'm like, oh, just like me, right? Just like me. Oh, the way he was. No, 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 the way I am. Huh? I'm still flesh and blood. But by the grace of God, 
because of my trust in Jesus and following him and my desire to be salt and light and be part of something bigger than myself and to, be uns- and, and to live unselfishly because I get this God thing so much and I love it, then I could turn around and live apart from that way, huh? Right? So I hope that, okay, so that was like 15 minutes on one line. What do we do here? All right. So I'm supposed to talk less today, not more. Listen, so let's fly through this. And normally people would stay away from me because I'm sick. Now everybody's going to stay away from me after because of all the stuff I'm staying up here, right? Look, Jesus says this. After he says, you are the salt of the earth, he goes on to say, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Look, these are strong words. It's actually hard to say, but it's clear. What he's saying is if you're not salt, right? If you're not being appetizing as a Christian, if you're not preserving the faith by your attitude and actions, then there's no use for you. You're tossed away. What he's saying is, man, you're on a path to hell. I don't believe in stagnancy. I don't believe people think, I talked about it, either you're going forward or you're going backwards. I don't believe you, I really don't think you, you stay in one place for a very short period of time. We think we are, but we're not. We're either going forward or we're going backwards. Take a little boat, put it on a pond, and sit there. Boat things, right? Even if you've been out on a boat, you think you're standing, you're not. You're either going one way or you're going another. Huh? If you are not being salt and light, and I've given you all these different versions, I, then you're drifting farther and farther away from God, for God intended you to be and what God called you to be and made you to be, huh? which means you're drifting farther and farther from eternity. You are vulnerable uh, to that. Whereas when you're being salt and light, you're going forward. Huh? You, you, you're, 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 you're tasteful. Don't live out your faith, huh? whether it's by abandoning morals or whether it's by making them your God. Either way, you can do this. Where now your faith is a tasteless, odorless gas, right? It's just totally indifferent to people. They reject it. They don't want it. It's not impressive to them. They want nothing to do. Don't do that. Our faith, your faith, it's just got so much good to it. Jesus said, taste and see that this is good, right? It's appetizing. It's a wonderful influence. It has changed worlds, changed countries, changed people. There's so much good in our world that has come from Christianity. Uh, So (coughs) I'm all over the place. All right, last, let's move to the end here. Jesus talks about being a light to the world. He's saying, what he's talking about here is illuminating a path to God. We don't bring people to God, right? I mean, we don't save people. It is the Holy Spirit who transforms people, who draws people to God. This is how they're saved. But God, certainly, we are an instrument in the Redeemer's hand, right? We are an instrument in God's hand. God uses us. As I say, he's got no plan B. We are his plan A. Why he did this, I don't know, but he did. Now, I want to read you a verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. We'll move towards closing. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus talks about saying we're salt, but he also talks about, he gives this emphasis about light, Right? He's saying, you are the light of the world. 
my life was changed because people believed that they were the light of the world. That they not only believed to, be, to live out their Christian faith morally well and ethically well, but they believed that they were, they actually, they were light. They believed that when I came into their presence, huh, this depraved, degenerate guy, that they were going to be a light, that they were called and meant to be a light into my life. And now they were going to govern themselves to do that. Intentionally, they were going to do that because I was watching them. And if they were a light, I would see light. And, and, and they would illuminate and create a path for me to know Jesus. Huh? That's what we do here. I make sure it's part of my church and my family. Every year, I'll do something really out there, you know, to keep me honest. So Tuesday, my wife and I, weather permitting, we'll go pick up a young woman who's coming back from a drug recovery center in Tennessee. Yeah, it's cool. I'm looking forward to it. I am. You know, you ever been there when somebody gets out of jail, you've been visiting them in jail for a few years, and they get out, it's an awesome thing to be a part of. It's, it's crazy good. I love it, man. I do, I do, I can't wait. You ever, wow. You ever been there when you're holding somebody's hand that you've helped them into and they're dying? And they're, it's just beautiful, you know? People say, oh, if you could raise it. That's beautiful. I love it. I'm addicted to it. And now, Christian and I are going to go pick up this woman. See, we know her. We've had a past with her. Several months ago, called us up, late one night, terrible place, four hours away. You and your giving helped us contact police, get her in a hotel. Christian and I, you know, next day, boom, four, four hours, drove four hours. Kids, it's a moment. I call it a moment in my home. We have moments and we have seasons. Kids, it's a moment where right now everything stops and we're going to dedicate ourselves to do what God, we believe God has our called us as a family. Protect, and they know it. It's a moment. It's a moment right now. We believe God has brought us an opportunity. Okay? We go four hours one way, boom, 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 four hours back, spend the next several days, you know, helping the person out. Boom, they book. They leave. Just not even saying goodbye. Drop it, just gone. No thanks, nothing. I expect it. I do. I literally expect it. You say, oh, you were hurt? No, I wasn't hurt. Disappointed, sure. We know it. The year before, Christy and I and some others, some of you, we took, after church on a Sunday, took a girl who's suffering brutally in drugs. You got involved in her life. I put you in there, Christy and I. You ministered to her. You enabled her not to have an abortion. She was going to abort her child, and you ministered to her. Some of you in here. Some of you, it was the first time you actually had stepped out to help somebody in Jesus. And there, at ground zero, in the hospital, you cut it off, and she didn't have the abortion. To God be the glory. How cool is that, huh? You were salt and you were light, huh? And she did that because she saw people. She saw light. Why are these people taking me to lunch? Why are these people helping me? Why are these people being nice to me? And so in that crazy moment, this person who's depraved, who's Drug addict who's a lying, deceitful, I mean, it is what it is, right? Has this moment of unselfishness. Why? She saw the light, right? You are the light. And so now there's a child that's living. I know I was once like that. I was in a similar situation in my life. That child lives today. This hope, is there not? Because you were the light. We took that girl. Christian and I and some of you who were involved in that, we thought it was just an opportunity. Drove after church on a Sunday all five hours, one way and five hours back, right? Kids, it's a moment. <laughs> Why? 
goes back to keep myself honest, to keep my wife, to keep us honest. We will be light, huh? We will look for opportunities to put ourselves aside to be the light of this world to people. Now, where is, I have no idea where this girl is. That one, you know, five, I have no idea. I do know, because I've been in her shoes, that someday she will wake up and she will remember seeing the light. I, I know that for sure. What she does with it, I'm not sure. But she will know, I saw light, huh? I saw Jesus. This girl that we're going to pick up, she booked. Several weeks later, called us up. You know what? I need help. You know, I need help, I need help, I need help. We brought her to a drug recovery center. You know, spent time, effort, money, your money, my money. Boom, she went in. A few weeks later, she booked from the drug recovery center. A month, whatever. Several weeks after that. Now, what, what? we were light. What they do is not consequential to us being light. There's another problem the church has taken on. Is it worth it? Well, if we put this money here, if we put this time here, you know what? It, we just, is it really going to increase our attendance? Is it really going to be a good investment? Is it, are we really going to see them change? You don't change them. He does. Amen. You just be light. Just be light. Just care. Just suffer. Just sacrifice. Just be light. Show them, illuminate the path to Jesus. Because he's there waiting with open arms, huh? Show them. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be light. Got another call. These, these calls are some vicious, they're really crazy crisis calls when they come in, right? Hours and hours on the phone, police, there's that. Okay, back to the drug recovery center. And now the person has seen it through. Well, she's three days away from completing the whole program. How awesome is that? I think it's great that she got to see light. And she, that, I think it's wonderful that we have given that. So here's what I'm getting to, <coughs> I think. Um, okay. I gotta find a way to tie this together. Give me a second. I got it. Okay. So I'm sick, and I've been I've been really terribly sick for a couple of weeks now, a few weeks. And some of you, a good number of you, caringly, wonderfully, and I don't want to discourage you, uh, try and help me to get better. And you bring me these remedies, and they almost always just taste terrible in one way or another. They do. They do. Um, I got teas. I got gels. I've got hydrogen peroxide. I and it's good. I, I'm encouraged when you show up, you know. Just don't bring me broccoli. That ain't going to happen. I ain't eating broccoli, man. Uh, but uh, so I've become a master at making this putrid stuff taste good. I have. I've gotten really good at it. You know, even the Joe's, I take a tablespoon of honey. I drop the honey in. I put the jelly in. And it just all goes down fast. I'm, I'll stop there. I just, I'm digressing. Okay. So here's some of my... People in here, especially my younger people, perhaps, generational stuff, you might be thinking, you know what? This living out my life, right, where I'm responsible for others, and now i got to worry about what I say. Because this is where I was when I first came around to it. This is what kind of kept me out of the faith, you know? That what I say and what I do, i got to worry about what people are thinking, and, 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 and that doesn't sound appetizing at all. It really doesn't. Huh? I mean, you're saying I'm, you said, you said it not me, that I'm responsible for other people how they perceive God, know God, and what they're going to do with their life by the way I act. And that's not appealing or appetizing at all anyway. It wasn't to me. And here's my tie-in if I can. It's not just about responsibility. It's about opportunity. And I'm not just trying to make something that's unappetizing un taste good. It really does taste good. You get me? 
when me and Chrissy pick up this woman from that airport and she comes out, it's going to be, it's going to taste awesome. I'm going to tell you, I've been in such a beautiful thing. And I'm going to go, I'm going to cry. I'm going, God, how did you do that? How did you take me, this depraved, lost, confused, anxious, violent guy, and how did you make that I could help somebody like that? What a beautiful thing. It's going to taste great. And it wasn't about responsibility. It, was, it is responsible for us to do this, to be so, but it's all about opportunity to have that moment, you know? Boom, hole in one, boom, dunk. Just that, if you know sports, to have that inspirational, like, kind of transcending moment where you kind of do something beyond what you thought you could do. It just, it, I get that same feeling, you know? If you've done coke or heroin and you have that moment, I dabbed in coconut, you know, where you just, you just nothing, everything seems cool. You're just floating out there and like worries and problems, everything just diminishing. You're just cool. Yeah, that's that moment. I'm going to have that moment sometime soon when me and Christy pick up that, that woman. Yeah, yeah. I live for those moments to be salt and light. You want that moment, you know? So you, you get that? It's, it's, not a, it's not about making unappealing good just because the Bible says so. It's about we were made to be this way. Whether you're 80 or whether you're 8, begin to think about being so light. Worship you come up because I will never get out of this. <coughs> All right, thank you, worship team, for following me. So listen, we are not called to shove the gospel down people's throats. I'm not saying that. huh? I'm saying God has called us and enabled us by his Holy Spirit. Huh? to see people come to know him by being salt and light. And, and I've given you an example of what that looks like. Meaning, yeah, it, it, you, whether you've been in the faith for five days or for 50 years, this is who we are meant to be, right? And not for a legalistic purpose or that we're so good and we're self-sufficient, that's ugly. It's big, possibly the biggest problem in the church today. I know people think it's immorality. I would just say they're equal, huh? The sins of commission and the sins of omission, Right? So I'm going backwards. John 3, 17, Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We are here not to condemn. We are here to help people carry their burdens. We are here to help people carry their pains. We are here to show people, you know what? Man, I am no better than you. I am no better than you. You don't want to be a Christian so that you can have it all together, right? I mean, look at this, right? No, no, no. You want to be a Christian so that you can see that despite all of this mess, wonderful th- God will do wonderful things through you, huh? To know the grace of God, to know the loving God, to know eternity with your creator, huh? with your Father in heaven, huh? And as a result of that, some wonderful things will come into place. And you know what one of the most wonderful things is? One day, you will be salt and light. One day you will be on the other side of this equation and you will be able to turn around and help lead somebody, light the path of somebody coming to know Jesus. Yes? All right, why don't you stand with me? So listen, God has called us to to help make Christianity attractive and appetizing to people. God has called us to help the moral decay of Christianity. Yes. God has called us to illuminate, to light the path. We are responsible to do this as believers, and it is an opportunity, yes? And we do so humbly before a gracious and loving God, not because we are all that, but because we were all that. Huh? But for the grace of God, yes? And so we see an opportunity to live out, to say, I, was once, was bl- I once was blind, but now I see. Huh? 
that God would use us in this wonderful way. Listen, if you're in here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have not turned away from living life apart from God. Matter of fact, living life apart from God is simply more appetizing to you than knowing Jesus. Huh? I get that. I, I, I get that, huh? So, so Tuesday night, I'm going to go out and pick up with Christy this woman and take her, and, and you're going to go out and, 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 ooh, I almost said, uh, and have sex with somebody outside of marriage. Or, or you're going to jump on a site and bash away a pornography, you know, for, for several hours. And, and, and that's more appetizing to you because you think, or you're going to go out and get high or this and that. And all these things, they, they, they last for seconds, for minutes, for hours. They're fleeting. And that's not even, that's just, that's just truth, right? But what me and Christy are going to experience there with this woman, that's going to be with us for the rest of our lives, man. When I'm breathing my last breath and I'm picking there, I, I, I'm going to picture that moment where this woman looks at us and just, just knowing what we did, right? Knowing, that, knowing how God used us, right? That's a better picture than any of those other things, right? In my opinion, I believe so. Now, maybe you say, maybe you are there, and I don't want to be condescending. Maybe somehow you're there getting high, getting drunk, getting late. I said it, sorry. Okay, <laughs> I tried not to say it the last time. Um, all that stuff, okay, is simply more, maybe it's more appetizing to you because no one has lit your path. Or maybe somebody has lit your path, but you've just been too <sighs> hesitant to let go and go down that path thinking it's not appealing and appetizing. It is. I promise you it is. I promise you that, what, that you have an opportunity right now to repent, to turn from the real living, and to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do so, you will see things come up. When you really abandon that as your identity, all that ungodly, immoral, really devastating and harmful stuff, fleeting, temporary stuff for the eternal, you will see since things come up with you. If you ever detox, you're like, man, I never felt like this before. I didn't even know I could feel like this. Same thing spiritually. You will feel things come up in you and arise in you that you never thought were there. And you'll like that feeling. And it'll be yours. You'll own it. And it'll be productive, not destructive. huh? So, that's, so I want to say to you this morning, we're lighting your path right now. Me, this worship team, everybody in here, we are here to be servants of the Most High God, yeah. uh, the one true God, to light your path this morning. That you, would, that you would right now trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and realize there's an incredible opportunity for you to live out life. To God be the glory.